So nice. <laughs> All right, let's pray for Gordy. <clears throat> well, Lord, I just thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for all that you want to continue to do throughout the rest of the service. Let's pray that our hearts would be open to receive from you, our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our spirits to learn, and that you would just come supernaturally and empower Gordy to just give what he has prepared, but also for his voice, because he's not feeling awesome right now, that you would just bless him. Thank you so much for just who you've made him to be as our pastor for all that he holds on his shoulders in regards to us. And we pray for him, Lord, that you would just bless him for his love and give back to him everything that he gives. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Karen. Well, good morning. Happy spring break to you all and to those listening by podcast. Um, this March is always a, a crazy month, I've learned as a pastor. A lot of comings and goings, so I've kind of adjusted for that. And thank God for the internet. Uh, lots of people actually do. I'm surprised how many give feedback as to, to uh, sermons they listen to and uh, the blessings of technology. We've sometimes, uh, we sent a team one time to be with Bill Wilson in New York City, uh, part of Metro Ministries in Brooklyn. He has this saying, don't call in sick, crawl in sick. And so that's what I've done today. <laughs> I decided to follow his advice. So I did crawl in today, and I am deeply, greatly in weakness, uh, both in my voice and in my body. Uh, but I felt that uh, I've been in this long enough to know that in our weakness, God's strength is perfect, and I felt I should be here to deliver this. I could have phoned in and and, and you guys would have done fine without me. But uh, I want to I wanna continue our series, Good and Beautiful Year, uh, which basically is a reference to the sabbatical year of Israel and how that uh, relates to us as a church this year, that we feel that God is, is this year uh, has us on Shabbat. He's, he's preparing us. Uh, he's resting us, he's renewing us, that that's not only for Kathleen and I as pastors, but that's for us as a church. Obviously, there's realities in Sabbath, things still have to go on, life goes on, but what does that look like for us as a church? And so we've been working through that a little bit, and I now have four Sundays before uh, our send-off on Easter Sunday, April the 5th, and so I wanted to take the last four weeks uh, that I have to give you what I call pastoral midrash for the days ahead. And midrash is probably not, I, I like the name midrash. It's been kind of a, a good word for me in the last few years because there's so many issues swirling around the body of Christ and ethical dilemmas and moral dilemmas and theological dilemmas and, and uh, the nature of scripture and all of that stuff. And, and so Midrash is, is often conversations that we have uh, related to God's revealed word, but how does that affect where we are now? How, in a world that is changing so rapidly all the time, I was reading today that the 
or yesterday in the paper, that the information that we have, the data of humanity, is doubled every eight months, if you think about that, and how that affects our world and how we live. And, and so God gave his word 2,000 years ago, but what does that mean today? How, with all the changes, what does... You know, how many know thou shalt not steal has a whole bunch of new implications with, with our day and time, as, as does every other command of God and Scripture and Revelation. So a few weeks ago, I was reading through the book of John, and I was kind of going through those chapters of where Jesus is in the, we think he's in the upper room, but he's addressing his disciples, and he's about to go to the cross. And... As I was reading this, probably more than any other time I've read it, I became aware of the gravity of, of, that Jesus sensed about the time. That he knew this was it. He was going to the cross. And the words that he spoke were, there was a sense of urgency. There was a sense of gravity in his words. And um, if there were, was a sermonic sentence that we could summarize these chapters of John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17, which was his prayer, I would sum it up with, don't let your heart be troubled. That was kind of the heart and soul of, of everything he said to them through this time. And for good reason, because there was a lot of change going on. Change produces anxiety naturally for us. And there were all kinds of contradictory factors going on that were impacting these disciples of his emotionally. He was talking about suffering and going to the cross and dying, even though they didn't fully get it. He was talk but he was talking about going away. They got that. And that he would go away, but I will come to you. And there was, it was confusing for them. And not only that, but he was talking about someone in their inner circle was a betrayer. That really gave you a lot of warm and fuzzies. Others would deny him, and all would forsake him. Talk about finishing well, right? This was not their idea of a good and beautiful year. And so these chapters where Jesus is speaking to his disciples, I just all of a sudden had this phrase come me. We need pastoral midrash for the coming sabbatical. Now, it's not the same. I don't plan on dying. I'm not planning on going and dying and not coming back. Um, I plan on coming back, and if you let me, I'll come back. Um, but I felt a lot of parallels in this for us. I felt like God was really speaking through these passages for us as the church. And... Um, I do believe we are in a season change, and we thought it was over. We, we loved season seven last year when we had our 25th anniversary. It was so nice, we all said, let's just stay here. And God said, LOL. Uh, which is to be interpreted, haha, right? And uh, did you see that cute little clip of Obama reading all the mean tweets that have been sent to him? If you can see that, read that. It's so cute. You got to read it. I it, see it. It's just beautiful. I, I didn't have time to arrange it. I would have today if I had. But uh, what was I talking about? I'm not on that much drugs, am I? No. Um, 
So God said, LOL, because within two weeks of our 25th anniversary, we got notice of our eviction from the Salvation Army due to their sale of the building. And the rest, as they say, is history. And so, you know, the last prayer and fasting that we did, like we're going to do in a couple of weeks, was specifically about our building, about our facility. And God providing us, we needed a place. We didn't know where we were going to go. And hasn't he been good? It's been, this has just been an incredible uh, journey. So easy. I thought it was going to be really hard. It's actually really easy. And, which is good, because I didn't need a lot more hard things. Life was hard enough, right? Um, <clears throat> and, you know, we've, we've, we've begun a new season here. But I feel spiritually we're still catching up to what's happened physically. Does that make sense? I feel that the transition and change has happened in a physical sense, but I feel that we're still transitioning in a spiritual and mindset and, 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 and way of being. The chili wagon closed, you know, a, a few months ago. I feel that was symbolic of another end of a season. And we're looking, we're still in that process of between Good Friday and Easter in terms of what's the resurrection for some of these things and in this new season. And so I believe that that's where these uh, particular uh, insights that Jesus speaks of uh, really speak to us. And the first insight I want to focus on today is the implications of being a servant community. Jesus was prophesied, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot in Isaiah about the servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord, you know, in Isaiah. There, and it's often with a capital S, the servant of the Lord. And, you know, we read that and we go, well, of course, that's the Messiah. Israel did not take it that way. Israel thought that that was a description of them as a community, that Israel corporately was the servant of the Lord. And the suffering they went through and all that described by the suffering servant. Of course, when Jesus came along, he took that on. He took that identity and the apostles after him. Isaiah 53, he was wounded for our transgressions. That was all the servant of the Lord. And so keep that in mind because when Jesus is about to leave, what strikes me about his last address is how silent he is in the most important enterprise of history of how little time he spent on who was going to be his successor. Usually you spend a lot of time on that. Like if you're Moses, you spend a lot of time working on Joshua. If you're Elijah, you spend a lot of time on Elisha. But Jesus doesn't do that. He just kind of, you know, almost in a sense seems to be silent on it. But the fact is... A little secret, I'll give you the, you know, keep you out of suspense, just give you the, the punchline at the very beginning. The fact was, they were the successors. The community was. He was giving this whole thing to these, this motley crew. He trusted them with it. Now, whenever you have a change of leadership, a change of the guard, that kind of thing, uh, or, or transition, there's often... Uh, Power struggles. I've been reading Korean history in the last couple of week, months, getting ready to go to Korea next month. And I've been reading Korean history. It's just like European history. It's just like Russian history. It's like African history. It's like South American history. It's the same thing. Thousands of years of power struggles. Who's in charge here? And of course, it's always for the benefit of the people, the benefactors, right? 
So the disciples, maybe they felt that. And so right in the upper room is Jesus saying, listen, I'm going to suffer and die a bloody, tortured death on the cross. They're fighting over what? Who's in charge? Who's the greatest? Remember that? Luke chapter 22? Luke describes that. Right while Jesus is breaking bread with them, giving them the Last Supper, there arose a dispute among them as to who would be the greatest. So... I'll, I'll talk more about that anyway. John, John conveniently omits the fight <laughs> in this particular text. You know, maybe he was in the middle of it. Who knows? I'm really good at pointing out other people's sins. You know, Peter denied him, but I'm the one Jesus loved. Anyway, I'm, I'm making fun of John. I'll have a good time kidding him when, when I'm in heaven. Um, so why did Jesus not leave anyone in charge? Well, he did, the church, the people of God. He was entrusting leadership to what I call a servant community. And this was to be the spirit that embodied all the communities of those that follow Jesus. And so in this last series of messages that Jesus gives, he starts with him doing a, acting out the message. He actually, he, he, takes on a formative action that would forever shape the, the communities that follow him. And let's go to it. John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that it, the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's funny how the Holy Spirit will drop a little something on you sometimes. And I was reading that uh, just a couple, couple weeks ago and I heard this phrase, you want to finish well, you just keep on loving. Just keep loving. No matter what. It didn't look like Jesus finished well. His disciples, the ones he poured his life into, denied him, betrayed him, and abandoned him. He's left on his alone in a bloody, tortured heap in, the, in Pilate's hall and crucified but he kept on loving. Simple, right? <laughs> no, it's not. I've been in this long enough to tell you that it's, very, it's a lot easier to get cynical and to get jaded and to get bitter and to say, who needs this blankety-blank? It's a lot easier to do that because we live in a sinful, fallen world surrounded by a lot of sinful, fallen people. And we go, if that's the church, then you can blank it. Right? That's, it's a lot easier to do that, isn't it? Yep. It's a lot harder to choose to keep loving. But it says he loved them to the end, even though they denied him, betrayed him, and, and abandoned him. So here we have in this uh, <clears throat> passage, it says that he loved them to the end. So the context is there's just been a fight. Someone didn't show up for the volunteer team. And I'm sure that was something. That, again, I think John covered that up. Because there was supposed to be somebody on duty for washing feet. You know, if you lived in Galilee, if you lived in Judea, they all walked around with sandals and it was very dusty. So it was, very, it was just incredibly unmannerly for a host to not have a foot washer at the door. Because if, if you didn't, you, the nice aroma of lamb stew would be, sorry, Wooly, um, would be uh, overwhelmed by 
<clears throat> stinky feet, right? And so who, who washed the feet? Slaves. Slaves were, were brought in, and that was the job of the most menial job to wash feet. It was just, it was just a common thing. But somebody messed up, the, and the, there was a hole in the volunteer roster. What to do? So whenever there's this power struggle, there's a... Um, there's, uh, just leave it back. Whenever there's this power struggle, there's this... Um, <clears throat> it comes with a vacuum, when there's a vacuum. And... But there's something else that happens when, the, when a vacuum of power occurs, like what seems to be happening here. And it is, I believe, that the, the nature of humanity is to rule. God created us for rulership. It says in Psalm 8, what are mere mortals that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and put everything under their feet. You created us, God created us in Genesis 1. It says, let them have dominion. For men and women, he created them in his image. And he said, let them rule. So whether you're a man or woman or a boy or a girl, if you're a human being, God has put rulership in you. It's in your DNA. It's what you're created to be. We are, it is, uh, several times in the New Testament, our destiny is told kind of, Paul said, we will judge angels in the world to come. Jesus said, those that overcome will sit with me in my throne and rule with me as I, as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Kids get that quite young, don't they? This thing about rulership. Yeah. You notice that, right? And I remember my son, when he was about nine years old, we asked kids for their Christmas list. His, he, you know, I don't know what it was, Nintendo, whatever, but his biggest number one thing was, I want to rule the world. <laughs> Anybody relating here at all? I thought, oh boy, and he's not even a teenager yet. Um, but kids get that, you know, and what happens is, is that we either abdicate through the fall our, our, our call to rule, we just kind of go the opposite direction, or we pervert it and we oppress one another. But Jesus is about to show us what his rulership is like. This is what the reign of God looks like. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to, to betray Jesus. Now, before I go on here, I, I, I think that the Holy Spirit prompted John to write about Judas for, for a reason. Because he's just finished saying that Jesus uh, loved to the end. Judas stopped loving. I don't think Judas knew for one second that he was being prompted by the devil. I don't think for one second that he knew that he was, the, that he was a puppet of darkness beyond his comprehension. He was just bitter. He was mad. He was impatient. He was frustrated. And he stopped loving. And you see, what happens when we stop loving is we give what Paul said a foothold for the enemy. We give the enemy a door to begin to manipulate us. Do you know how many times this week you were influenced by the devil or being tempted to be influenced by the devil? Why did he look at me like that? What's the matter with him? How come she said that? What do they mean by that? Right? 
And I could go on and on. These things are, that's why the Bible tells us it's so important to constantly be vigilant and to take our thoughts captive. Because roots of bitterness, judgment, irritation, they give the, they give the enemy an access point. And so persevere in love. So, so John mentions Judas, almost in contrast to Jesus, who loved to the end. And then he goes on to say, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You want to rule? That's rulership. Eh? So I want, to, I want to introduce here three essentials. This is the core of my message today. Three essentials to being a servant community that I want to bless you with, I want to leave you with as, I, as we go away, and that I want to walk with you in it when we come back. Because I think this is a word for us ongoing. It's not just for the sabbatical. It's, it's a word I believe that God is calling us to as a church. And I'm excited about it. Not quite as excited as Karen was a little earlier, but close. If I was a little younger and a little healthier, maybe I would be. But I kind of like my voice. I think I like to keep it this way. I could sing like Bob Dylan. You got to serve somebody, you know. Uh, so the first mindset is you got to know who you are. Jesus knew who he was. If you're going to be a servant community, why is it that Paul took three chapters in the book of Ephesians when he writes to his disciples and he writes to his his, his uh uh, congregants in Ephesus, he writes three chapters. You read it, and I, I quote it almost every night when I, if if I have insomnia, I just I just quote, I just quote those first three chapters of Ephesians. I've memorized them, uh, and they help me go to sleep eventually. <laughs> and they're incredible. They're incredible. Sometimes in the middle of the night, I just weep. They just, is that really true, God? Is that really true? It's amazing. Have you read that? Go home today if you're depressed. Read that. Even if you're not depressed. <laughs> ah, he says, you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. That the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. It's in you. And that he's raised you up when you were dead in your sins and made you sit with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. That's you. You're sitting with Christ in heavenly places, not, not then, not after, now. Now. I feel like getting an American accent, Peter. Now. I don't know. There's just something about that. Why? Why did he do that? So that in the ages to come, this is God's purpose. This is God's plan of the ages. Are you ready? This is really profound. That in the ages to come, he might show, demonstrate to you the incredible riches of his grace and kindness. He just wants to keep blessing you, blessing your socks off, and rule with you. Sheesh. So, finally, after three chapters, Paul says, Oh, now, I beseech you, dear brothers and sisters... By, in light of all that God's done, that you walk worthy of this calling in all humility and gentleness and love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 
Good thing I'm sick, man. I'd be yelling my head off. This is just amazing. So Jesus knew who he was. So that's the first thing. Talk about rulership. So the mindset is know who you are. Secondly, the essential action of a servant community is, it says in verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. Somebody didn't show up for the volunteer roster. Jesus said, I'll do it. And that's the spirit on our church. I'm, not preach- I'm preaching to the choir here. This is, this is a reality here. I mean, it happened this morning. I, I was planning on saying this, by the way, before this happened this morning, but we had a volunteer call in last minute, couldn't come today. Our church so seamlessly, just people step in, cover for one another. You know what this is? Rulership practice. You rule. Wade always signs his, his letters to me that way. You rule. It's kind of, kind of biblical, isn't it? You rule. Um, <clears throat> so this is a... What's, what does it mean to lay aside your outer garment? It's a picture of the incarnation, isn't it? What is the outer garment that God asks us to lay aside? How about your position, your title, your achievements, your PhD, your family of origin, your race, your gender... We're, we're in a new kingdom, in a new order, where there's no male or female, slave or free, but we are all children of God in Christ Jesus, Paul said in Galatians chapter two, 3. It's a subversive action that Jesus does. It undermines the current order. It disarms principalities and powers and unseats rulers from thrones when we serve. We bring in the order of God, the rule of God. It goes contrary to the world's understanding of pecking orders and class systems. For example, there's a statue in India. And the Hindus look at that and they can't comprehend that it's actually the master They think the master is the guy sitting on the stool. The missionaries, when they went, they tried to to explain him. No, 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 this reversed. This is the upside-down kingdom with the caste system of, of, you know, the untouchables. They saw that guy that was washing the feet as like one of the untouchables, like a slave. Didn't make sense. But that's the kingdom we're in. My Korean students, they always... They, I, not all of them, but some of them, they, I can tell their, 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 their brain is kind of going through this funny thing when they see me, because uh, of our schedule, often I, I make the supper and clean it up and do the shop, just because Kathleen often has to work over those, those hours with her tutoring. And you can, you can feel this gender thing and this age thing. Well, you're, you're an older white male. You, you know, you're not doing what older white males do. And... Uh, you know, and, and David Roos told us when he went to, to Korea that, and, and it's true of other countries where you have that caste system, you know, in, 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 even if it's not there anymore physically, it's still in the consciousness and it's still in the, the mindset. And so the, one, of the, one, of the verse, one of the first vineyard conferences in Korea was almost a total disaster because they went there and they said everybody gets to play. Well, they didn't get that. No, 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 no. It's the man of God who prays for the people. It's the pastor who prays for the people. 
And they said, well, we appreciate the honor of your... There's, there, there is a beauty, by the way, of Asian cultures in honoring age and honoring... I think that's a beautiful thing. However, there are things where the culture crosses the line of the kingdom of God where we're all priests. We're all called to play. And when they tried to do that, it, it almost shut down the conference. And so Bob Fulton said to some of the Korean leaders in Seoul, he said, well... We love your country. It's a beautiful country. We, we'll just go for a holiday. We'll go visit some of the beautiful sites. It's okay. So finally they said, oh, okay. <laughs> and so they, they let, him, let him give it away. Yeah. So speaking of Korea, I think this, is, this thing of laying aside your garment is probably most beautifully illustrated in the story of the Dropbox, which uh, Kathleen and I got to see this last Monday night, we saw Sally there. Uh, beautiful story. Um, about over hundreds of babies were being abandoned every year in Seoul, Korea. And there's a couple of reasons. This happens in any country, but it, this happens in Korea, number one, because a teenage pregnancy is very shameful. It's, it's a disaster for the family. It's a, you've shamed your family. And so it, it's so horrific that the girl's just out of pressure would abandon their babies on the streets. But uh, that was maybe 75% of the reason. And they said the other was that the children are severely disabled, uh, mongoloid, or different, different disabilities. That again, in, in Asian, you know, you have to be perfect, that whole honor thing. And uh, this pastor heard about it and broke his heart. It's a beautiful story. Uh, so he installed a drop box on the outer wall of his house. The drop box he created where it was warm, had some blankets, and where a mom could anonymously, and I know it's controversial, is it, in, you know, is it encouraging irresponsibility, blah, blah, blah. But he just didn't want to see any more dying. So they, mom could anonymously leave her baby in the drop box, and when they, they closed the door, a buzzer rang, boom. And mostly during the middle of the night, he'd have to get up and go down, and he'd rescue the baby. And he's rescued hundreds of babies and adopted 10 as as their own. And uh, I I think it was 10. I think I got that number wrong. It could be. There's a lot. (laughs) So two years later, after the Dropbox was built... Brian Ivey, I think I'm saying his name right, was reading through the LA Times and he came across an article, South Korean pastor tends an unwanted flock. After reading the article... Brian knew he had to find a way to share Pastor Lee's story. Six months after reading the article, he took his production team from Arbella Studios to Seoul, Korea to live with Pastor Lee and film his story. This guy was not a Christian. He was so moved by his time there that he he became a Christian. But what really moves me is this story started 26 years before Pastor Lee ever started a Dropbox. 
And it was when their oldest son was born severely disabled. He was so disabled, he had a huge growth coming out of the side of his face. It was so unshapely. And he's, his whole body was just in a vegetative state. He couldn't move. All he can do is blink and smile a little bit. And for 26 years, they'd been, they've been taking care of him and loving him. And just he's the center of the home and the community. And one of the oldest adoptees is a physically disabled preteen boy who got really disappointed. It's so cute in the show because he says, I was really disappointed when I found out I wasn't one of their real kids because I thought I was. But he was elected as class president, even though he's missing fingers, because the Lees have taught him to be an overcomer. And he fully expects to be, this is what really gets me, he fully expects to be Lee's successor. <laughs> this 12-year-old boy, yeah, when my, when my dad dies, I guess, I guess I'll take his place. It's a just amazing story. But you know what is the, the, the most, what really struck me most about this story is, is that the, the primary characteristic of this servant community, you know what it was? Joy. I've never seen so much joy in a community in my whole life. Well, it reminded me of the L'Arche communities a little bit and John Vanier and some of these, some of these communities we, we hear about where people have so much to be whining about and complaining about. And if anybody should be negative and depressed, it should be them. And they're so happy. There's so much joy. So... The mindset, know who you are. The action, lay aside your garment. And thirdly, what I call the essential prerequisite for servitude is Jesus came to Simon Peter in this room as he's washing feet. And he says to him, Lord, Peter says to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter, being kind of an all-or-nothing kind of guy, said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well, Lord. And so Peter's reacting to something here. He's reacting to a new order, to a new kind of rulership that he's not quite sure he gets yet. Because he's going, oh, this is my Lord. This is my master. I know the implications of this. And I think the key word here is where Jesus, for us today, is he's saying to us as Vancouver Eastside Vineyard, I know he's been saying it to me. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. First of all, we had a word in the pre-service prayer about dirty diapers. How that God comes and he loves us in the, in, in the midst of our poopy diapers and he changes us. And there's this incredible exchange and when Jesus came, I think there was something about saying that unless I wash you, you, wanna, you think washing dirty feet is dirty? You think that changing poopy diapers is dirty? I'll tell you what's dirty is the, is, is the job of washing you of your sins. That's a dirty job. 
So unless I wash you, you have no part of me. I think there's that aspect of it. But I think there's more to it than that. I think that in order to be in a servant community, we have to put ourselves continually in a posture of receiving in order to live this message. Many of us are actually not bad at giving. We're lousy at receiving. And in a servant community, there's this beautiful symmetry of giving and receiving. And and Jesus is modeling this for them. That there's this, this rhythm of, 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 uh, of giving and expending and investing, but there's also this rhythm of, of ref- renewal and refreshment and receiving from others. And I had this illustration early in my life. I was six years old. Back in those days, it wasn't cool to wear glasses. Nowadays, you know what the, the, the international students do? They actually wear these glasses with no lenses in them because it's cool. I said, man, I'm just, I was just too way behind the times here. And uh, I was six years old, and I was having trouble in school, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And my parents took me to an eye doctor, and I found out I had astigmatism, but I also had what was called a lazy eye. And so in order to fix this lazy eye, they did nothing to the lazy eye. They put a patch on my good eye because the problem was not my lazy eye, but it was an over-functioning good eye. My good eye was so good, it was just willing to do all the work. And I find that good eyes like some of us. We're not willing. We're, we're just, oh, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll, you know, maybe some of us err to the lazy side, but a lot of us err to the over-functioning side. And what Jesus is talking about is a beautiful balance. And in a sense, the sabbatical I don't think I'm as bad as I used to be, but in a sense, the sabbatical is like putting a patch over the over-functioning eye a little bit. And I believe that God wants to bring symmetry and beauty and order. I believe that's what he wants to do. Whether that happens or not, I think it requires our obedience, our participation in that. But I think that's his invitation to us. And I believe that's a word for us. I believe that Jesus is saying that during these next five months, he wants to come through guest ministries, through people from the outside. And he wants to bless you, and he wants to refresh you, and he wants to wash your feet. He really does. So Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Notice here that he's talking about Judas, and the only reason Judas was not clean anymore is because I think when you give voice and action to a prompting of the devil. That's where the uncleanness comes in. It's when you you act on something. The beautiful thing is even if we act on something, cleanness is available to us through the blood of Jesus, through the cross and repentance. Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, although not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done to you. Very truly I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you're happy or blessed if you do them. So first of all, 
as I've washed your feet, so you ought to wash one another's feet. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fill, fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. There's a vulnerability about being in a servant community that when you give up that vulnerability, you're no longer a servant community. There's always a risk. There's always a risk that somebody's going to burn you, that somebody's going to hurt you when you choose to live and love well. And if you, if you stop that risk, I'm not saying you're not wise. Jesus was often, you know, kind of discreet who he told what. I'm not saying that we don't use wisdom. But if we're going to be a servant community, we have to stay vulnerable to being hurt. It's just the way it is. And then verse 19, I am telling you now before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. I want to highlight that for a second. We're almost done. You're blessed if you have this mindset. You know who you are. You're blessed if you do these things. And you're blessed if you learn to receive. And part of learning to receive is to receive those whom God sends to bless you. And how do we receive them? We receive them by serving them. We receive them by receiving from them. Receiving what they want to give. Can I be vulnerable for a few minutes? I mean, more vulnerable than I already have. <laughs> this really gets personal for me. It really does. I was... I was uh, Very upset with the vineyard a few months ago. Uh, very, very angry. Struggling in my heart. And part of the problem, there's a, there's a blessing and a weakness in our movement. And that is, is that we're very entrepreneurial. And we give people, it's like YWAM. There's a lot of freedom to, to release ministries and entrepreneurs. And you want to do that? Go for it. And so... The good side is it, it gives room for a lot of adventure and, and experimentation. The downside is often the communication is really bad. It's not the greatest. We're working at it. We're getting better. But often, and even in our best intentions to communicate as a movement, the, the system is such that even though our hearts are right, we still miss each other. And a, a couple years ago, I had a... The, the associate pastor of the largest vineyard in the USA, the Columbus Vineyard, come to our home with his wife and children. Beautiful, beautiful little family. The church has over 10,000 people. It has 152 nations in their church. It's just one of the most incredible sending missions churches in the world, the Columbus Vineyard. This guy's name is Insu Kim, and he... Uh, is a Korean-American. He's, he's more American now than Korean, but still speaks Korean. And He just told us he had a dream to come and plant a church in Vancouver. And uh, so I said, you know, we, we blessed them. I, and we just so enjoyed them and their little family. But anyway, a long process of time passed where it was kind of not sure if they were going to go for it. And 
just different factors. I, I, I want to protect them in this because there were different factors that made it a, a bit of an up and down journey for them. But I, I said, you know what? You know, it would be really great to work together. It would be really great to, you know, to move together and you know, partner with you guys. And, you know, and, and I offered even that them coming to Vancouver, they could come on, on staff. Obviously, the support would be, need to be raised from outside, but, but it would be a way to, to release them for a while in our city, just walking together. And I found out not too long ago that, that they, it was a go, that they are coming, that the church is, is raising money for them, that, they're, that they need to match whatever is given to them, and, and that they were going to work with Abbotsford Vineyard, which is a very... Uh, you know, resource church, uh, a lot bigger than ours, a lot of money. And uh, at the the BC regional meetings, there was discussion about, you know, let's raise money, let's support them. And it was one of those weeks where we were struggling financially as a church ourselves. And it just all hit me at the wrong time. And I, and I, I was just angry. I just, there's so many things I could tell you. I've watched Disasters in this city for 20 years. People come and go, and there's just debris. And, and often uh, things have started without me being consulted, and then I'm asked to come in and clean up the mess. And I just, I just was so tired of that. And I was angry at God. Not just on my behalf, but on your behalf on behalf of so many faithful people that have walked and watched people come and watched people go for years. And it's just like a revolving door because of the transience of our city. And I was just really hurting. And I felt disregarded, disrespected, and dishonored. And right in the middle of all that, I read this verse, verse 19. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And part of, part of me went, oh, okay. All right, Lord, so this is a, this, you want to send a blessing. But part of me was going, but God, I've been burned I've been burned by this before. And it all came back. You know what it all came back to? It's what Karen said earlier. Just believing. Just trusting. Just believing that his hand, that, that I don't want to. You know what? I used to see these cranky old guys that got bitter and cynical and jaded and into turf wars. How many know Vancouver needs way more churches? It needs way more church plants. It needs more vineyards. It needs it. That is not the issue for me. But the issue for me had been just just feeling excluded. Just feeling disregarded. And yet, the Lord was giving me this invitation. Will you receive those I send? And so I felt, Lord, I don't want to be that guy. 
I just don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that grumpy, jaded, angry, frustrated, burnt out guy. I want to finish well. And if it means at the end of the day, my posture is this. If my posture is this, if everybody leaves, if the church is a better vineyard with more money and more, a bigger band and more volunteers and better kids programs, then I'll be John the Baptist and say, he must increase, I must decrease. If I can just be the guy that locks the doors and unlocks them and cleans the floors and be able to pray like Julian of Norwich did as a church warden. If I can just be part of this, I'm happy. I am. I mean that. If I can be in a place where I can just keep loving, serving, then I'm happy. So don't get me wrong. I believe that Insu has done everything in his power. I love this guy. He's done everything in his power to communicate well. It's just the system. It's the structure. That's just, it's chaotic. We're working on it. It's getting better, but... Is it okay if I tell you this stuff? So Jesus finishes it off. A new commandment I give you, love one another. So I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so I'm, I'm going to love. I'm going to choose to love. Even with those Christians in the city, even with those churches that don't let women lead, that I, that I don't understand, I think it's so archaic and backwards and perverted, but I love them. I will love them because they still follow Jesus even though they don't get that part of it. I will love them. Even churches that, that are, look more like the Pharisees than do like Jesus, I will love them and I will pray for them. And when Insu comes, and there's another church plant, another vineyard going down, a guy named Karo Musu planting in the, in the, in the, the Main Street area. Uh, uh, great guy, great guy. Can we love them? Can we welcome them? Can we partner with them? And hey, go the second mile. Go to the website, lovevancouver.ca, I think it is. Get on there. Start praying for Insu. Uh, because the Lord told me that if, if we posture ourselves that way, that it'll bless all of us. The water level will rise. And all the boats rise. And they do. So being a servant community... I'm going to shut up and go home here. <laughs> Number one, keep coming into the light. Keep coming to Jesus. You know what I find about Jesus? Is when I come to him with all my bitterness and anger and rage, and the, you know, that happens to me sometimes. I'm sorry. It still does. But I've, known not, I've been in this long enough to know you don't give place to the devil. Just don't give place to the devil. Just go into the light. Just come to Jesus. And you know what? He's got grace for you. He's got comfort for you. He's got wisdom for you. He's got leadership for you. Keep coming. Secondly, be a receiver. Let him wash your feet. I love that verse where Jesus walks into the upper room and he says to the disciples, it says he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. All my life, I've read that and I thought, well, that was cool. He breathed on them and they, but no, he actually gave them a command. He did something, but he, then he said, you receive the Holy Spirit. There was something he was asking them to do. I don't know what it was, but there was something they had to do to receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was just breathe in. I don't know. Hopefully he was using a breath mint. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I think this thing, receive the Holy Spirit, is, 
God's on that for us. Go after that. Mm -hmm. Receive the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, freely you've received, freely give. You know, sometimes you're going to feel like me this morning when I got out of bed. I said, God, I haven't prayed. I haven't read. I suck. Life sucks. But I'm going to give you what I got. You know what? He has a way of taking out little loaves and fishes and multiplying it. So the leadership of God is most purely expressed through the servant community that lives in a healthy rhythm of constantly placing ourselves in a posture of receiving and giving, which overflows in love and service to the world. Amen. So if you would like to respond to that word this morning about receive the Holy Spirit, I just feel like the Lord just is saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Would you indicate so if you can physically by just standing? If you can't stand, then just raise your hand and I'm just going to pray a blessing over you just to receive the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of servanthood, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, and He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. So I just ask you, Lord Jesus Christ, to just walk up and down these aisles right now and breathe on on us today. Breathe on us to receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Some of you, he wants to wash your feet. He's saying, I hear Jesus saying, thank you. I just say, particularly, I feel that for Dean this morning. I just hear Jesus say, thank you, Dean. And he wants to wash your feet. Tell you how grateful he is for the way you've loved his church, loved his people, loved your family, for your faithful heart. He knows the struggles of your heart, Dean. And he's just, all his heart is for you. He's just, I just feel God's gratitude for you today. Just let him wash you. Let him wash you. Let him refresh you. Let him love on you. Let him know there's enough room in the party. There's enough room. He's, he's saying there's enough room in the party for all of you. There's a place. I go to prepare a place for you. I have a place for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to provide. Be a believer. Be a believer. I know it hurts. I know sometimes it sucks. I know sometimes it's Easier to be jaded and bitter and mad and frustrated. But just think of, just think of that beautiful little church in Korea. Just think of their joy. That's us. That's a description of our church. I I just thought, man, there's so many parallels. The way that we love one another, the way that we love the broken, the way that we admit our own brokenness and are honest about it, that's us. I wonder if they would let us be Joy Fellowship, number two. Yeah. Huh? Wouldn't that be great? 
So I'm just going to release you to love one another, bless your kids. Uh, you know, some of you have to go get kids, and it's been a long time. I, I kind of went over today. So, oh, so a couple of people have a word. Are you guys okay to just get a couple more words? We're okay. I also had a very strong picture, it's very related to Gordy, of many of us in our vehicle. You get in your car, and all of a sudden you see that the oil light's flickering. And you think, oh no. You know, if you're kind of crazy like me, you say, shalalalala, in the name of Jesus, may the oil. But no, no, but then you, you get wise and you think, maybe I'll have to get some more oil in my car before I try to drive it on empty. And I think the Lord is bringing the oil to us today because each one of you represents not just an individual but families and extended family and friends so may the lord just bring that oil oil it's not that just the oil of joy it's the oil that makes your body makes your whole life smooth where you can actually move so it's the holy spirit's lubrication and he says he wants to do that, and he's doing it in us. Amen. Christine, do you have a word? Sure. Um, I was reading over the reflection, discussed some of the impediments and barriers to us being a servant community, and one of the things that I worry about sometimes is that we're small, and the need is so great within our own walls and outside the walls of the building. Or, sorry, within the community and outside the community. Mm. And then I just came to mind that story. Is it Jacob marching mm. around? Joshua. Joshua marching around. Jericho. Yeah, seven, seven times. Mm. Yeah. And, then, and I felt that God was saying, listen, obey, and follow, and I will do the rest. Yeah. And I also felt... Or that we should pray for you. Okay. Yeah, yeah you're welcome to. I, I'm supposed to I, I heard somebody say we're supposed to be able to receive, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, this, is, this is really for Gordy as much as it's for us. So I saw a family that um, had two brothers. And um, there was a big brother and, um, you know, a brother who was a 20-year-old brother and a 10-year-old brother. And... Um, the 20-year-old nurtured the 10-year-old, and God has decided to bring two little siblings, that Main Street sibling and the new downtown sibling. And they're that little surprise caboose that a family's not expecting. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard when somebody's 20 years old to imagine that their parents have given birth to yet another child. And I remember um, our son Seth when um, we had conceived a child and he was 15 and he said, how will, uh, he was 17 I think, and he said, how will I have a relationship with that child? And we said, well that's up to you, you can have as much or as little as you want. And I really feel like God is saying, Gordy, that you're the big brother here, um, that our church is the big brother, and that we're going we're gonna to have a really great relationship, and they're going to be a blessing, Amen. that um, they're bringing something new and fresh, and um, you can have a family that is um, so alike in so many ways, but when you look at your children, they're all unique as well. Like, you all share the yeah. same last name. 
and uh, you line them all up and they look so much alike, yet when you start looking at them, they're so different too. And that's what God wants to do because Vancouver is a unique place and he wants, he wants to reach everyone. And so he's going to bring some unique pieces here. So I too feel that we really need to pray for our big brother, you know, for our church and for Gordy to be in that place. And whether, whether they realize that or not, that, um, Gordy's their big brother. (laughs) Thanks Rose. That's sweet. I love that. Thank you. Very encouraging. All right. Well, I love you all. And uh, oh, let me bless you. Stand up if you can. And uh, may the, uh, the Lord bless you and uh, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and turn his countenance toward you and give you his shalom, his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being a family. Bless you guys.